0: Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is a episode called "The Miracle at Walmart," and I'm going to talk a little bit about something called the Amago Day. And let's get started. Uh, they say America is a great melting pot, but on a local level, the melting pot is Walmart. There's no place where every walk of life, every occupation, every ideology or religion, every fashion choice, every body type, or disability Uh, can be seen and shared, at least on the surface level. But what is more amazing is this. All of these people, mingling and bumping carts into one another, shop in relative peace. Okay, yes, occasionally there's a police car outside of the Walmart, but I've also seen them at Target or Costco too, just not nearly as often. Uh, Perhaps this general peacefulness is because everyone in the store at Walmart is focused on getting what they want and then planning on promptly leaving as long as no one pokes a thorn in the side of our consumerism apparently we really can get along now for as long as i can remember walmart has been slammed as the angel of small business death walmart holds a unique place of anger in many hearts on both the right and the left sides of american politics I've even heard uh, one hyperbolic person I know say they would rather walk over hot coals than go into a Walmart store. Uh, one thing about people, especially nowadays, is we really enjoy arguing, um, especially about politics, economics, and religion, uh, but even things like retail stores. And Mostly we argue online and we just stew about it silently um, and not in each other's faces. Every now and then it erupts and we see it on a recording. So there was an old saying, um, arguing with an engineer is a lot like wrestling in the mud with a pig. After a few hours, you realize that the pig likes it. Uh, To that point, about 10 years ago, I sat in a meeting room for an entire week of product design, listening and occasionally contributing to a battle between front-end web engineers, programmers, over which JavaScript library we should select for use in our product, And this was, yes, an entire week of arguing about a part of our product that customers would never see and never care about. But the arguing went on and on and on. Uh, But no matter whether you love it or hate it or just secretly go to Walmart on vacation when you need something and you think you won't be seen, Walmart is the only place on Earth where you can get a fishing pole, frozen fish, a fish pinata, and a pet fish, all while getting the brakes fixed on your fishing boat. From my years of listening to disdain for Walmart, the problem for many consumers is not the global supply chain or the treatment of the workers or their environmental impact. The real issue shoppers have with Walmart is that they don't want to mingle with the people who shop there. There's a subtle implication towards something awful when a voice laments, I had to go to Walmart, as if they just used a porta potty on the third day of a a music festival. The phrase... Quote, people of Walmart is a modern wink between folks that that hints at the dregs of society, uh, bordering on like a modern version of biblical uncleanliness. The quote people of Walmart in modern America is analogous to the lepers of Molokai in the 19th century uh, Hawaiian state uh, before it was a state. This superiority complex happens not only among my more educated and wealthy friends, it's also expressed among my blue-collar friends. There's a sense that people of Walmart is just a little shady. I've heard the sentiment from various ethnicities and races, too. Um, There doesn't seem to be a single group of people that have this condescending feeling about Walmart. I can't discern who will hold the sentiment about Walmart. The disgust for Walmart transcends our usual tribes, so I can never tell who will start to show symptoms of illness when the word Walmart comes up in conversation. In any case, I've come neither to bury Walmart nor to praise it, but mostly stand in observation of it as the modern marketplace, uh, like the Agora of classic Athens, but with light speed logistics, rock bottom prices, and no coupons needed and no one like Socrates appears to be hanging around in Walmart um, philosophizing, or at least I haven't seen it. I do have a comment about the t-shirt section. That's for another episode. But um, aside from the military, um, a hospital emergency room and maybe a water park on a hot summer day, there's no place of greater diversity slammed together and in constant interaction than your average Walmart. College campuses in corporate America are the two least- diverse environments in America that I have been a part of or ever lived on, uh, been among, um, despite colleges and, and corporations constantly trumpeting their claim to that prize. Um, in my university and corporate travels over the past 25 years of my life, I've yet to see a hillbilly wielding a dry erase marker in front of a whiteboard or a man with gold teeth refining a PowerPoint presentation. However, I've seen both of these people at Walmart regularly. Real diversity is where you have every class, every race, every religion, every level of education, every disability, every propensity, every shape of human being imaginable pressed into one space. And corporations and universities absolutely are the least diverse places I've ever been. But they pretend they are the most. Anyway, what Walmart does is it teases out our prejudices, I would go into Walmart and see someone and shake my head. Yes, I, I, yeah. I would comment, "Look at that guy! What, what a mess! What an absolute mess!" Uh, perhaps you know what I'm f- referring to. Um, I suspect you do if you've ever gone to Walmart. Uh, there are websites dedicated to the people that I'm referring to, like. Um, people of walmart.com and i'm I'm not giving a link to that here because while the site is funny it's mainly for like sophomores in high school especially the daily feature creature so i realize that comedy can be mean um there are various ways to get a laugh such as thwarting expectations shocking the senses or or good old-fashioned body humor that we humans have perfected over thousands of years and now we can't talk about because it's taboo Um, body humor definitely no longer allowed. Um, And even the differences between people that we have attributes that are comical, uh, that are different. Um, So, and I'm not going to pretend I don't laugh at those things because I I like humor. In fact, I'm probably too much into it sometimes where I've got, you know, I can get myself in trouble for laughing at things. Um, As I've said before, don't let this blog podcast fool you I am flawed in, in more ways than one. So, yes, I laugh at body humor. Um, for instance, if you've ever seen the trilogy of movies known as Shrek, Shrek 2, and Shrek the Third, um, I enjoyed those movies. And, but those movies do not exist without body humor. That's all it is. Here's a quick summary. Shrek. He's ugly and overweight. Prince Farquaad. He's short and dandyish. Prince Charming. He's a good-looking, rich prick. The end. Roll credits. That's the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's more characters I could cover there. The donkey and so on. But anyway, people don't really tire of height and weight and fart jokes because, and this is modern blasphemy to say today, our bodies are funny. There's just no way around the fact that human bodies make us laugh, and we all know they make us laugh. But some of us today are getting very good at the art of taking offense. We are experts at taking offense at anything. <sighs> But surely even those folks have to stifle, stifle a laugh when they see America's Funniest Videos classic clips of um, such classic scenes of man getting kicked in the crotch, for example, or man falling off trampoline. Hilarious stuff. I don't care how, what age you would have lived in. It would have been funny. Man slipping on ice. That's, that's funny. I'm sorry. To deny that bodies are funny is to deny one of the better parts of our nature... But we are denying it. And as a result, comedians are declining to book shows at corporations and campuses, which are, as I've already mentioned, the least diverse places in America with the least oppressed people in America who are obsessed with their own oppression. And as much as they like to try to tell us otherwise, it's it's true. Um, consider classic books that use body humor, like Don Quixote and Sancho Panza. It's the skinny guy and the fat guy buddy adventure story. You have a confederacy of dunces. The main character, Ignatius Riley, is a stream of endless body humor. Or the movie, The Princess Bride. Um, It would not even be a movie worth watching without the six-fingered man, Andre the Giant, uh, the albino hunchback torture, the old hag with all the warts, and the many speech impediments and characters That the characters have, in particularly the priest who mixes up the letters W and R and L while he's doing the wedding scene. So, uh, it's obvious it's kind of humorous that Rob Reiner has probably the most insulting body humor movie ever, and he would take offense to that himself now. It seems like so, anyway, times change. Um, and you know, body humor is still funny, we just pretend it's not now. So, unlike books and movies and Shrek, Walmart is, is of the flesh, and it brings out a type of superficial judgment that I also like to pretend I don't make. So why does this happen at Walmart? Because in that store lives the full array of rednecks and hippies and preppies and snobs and slobs and spinsters and bachelors and gangsters and people with eight kids and wankers and studs and duds and broods and dudes and litters and critters and fops and goths and sloths and freaks and geeks and some people that even give me the creeps. And maybe I give people the creeps. Who knows? That's the thing. This is what I, where I'm going with all of this. This is a good thing. Um, luckily, yeah, I fit right in with many of these groups. I feel right at home. At, at Walmart, I realize these are my people. These are my people. That's where I fit in. Back in college, I read about a morality test in a marketing class of all places, a morality test. And it was, co- it was called the TV test. The TV test goes like this. When engaging in an act of, of really anything, but if it's questionable ethics, um, if your actions were being broadcast to the world, say like in the movie The Truman Show, you should ask yourself this question. Would you still perform the act if the world was bearing witness to what you were doing? And that was a fine test for me to consider in 1997, as at that point, I didn't really have much time for God. Uh, but any religious person knows that this test should be called the God test. I mean, the TV test. It's actually funny when you think about it, how secular uh, academics took something, uh, which would be God watching you and said, what would you do if the, if other people were watching? It was the TV test. Um, The God test requires no studio or camera since we are always under the oversight of God. The TV test is a secular test of morality. So if you wouldn't cheat on your partner while being watched on TV, you should probably just skip hitting on the waitress. If you wouldn't stuff $20 bills in your pocket when running a cash register and being observed on TV, it's a good idea to put the money into the drawer. Stealing, cheating, cheating. Getting drunk, lying, acting rude, watching porn. The TV test is, is indeed a good test to reveal unchangeable moral rules. For the record, shopping at Walmart is an act I would do while being filmed on TV. So that's how I know it's not really a wrong action. Although I would be embarrassed to be seen buying... um as much cereal as i have over the years there that might yeah um this tv test works well for determining right and wrong if you take these two actions say smoking cigarettes versus watching pornography would you be willing to see, be seen smoking or would you be willing to be watched be it while you watch say pornography um if i was saw smoking on television i would not feel my conscious conscience eating at me at all on the other hand, watching porn is something I would definitely not want to be seen doing, so it's easy for me to tell which one of these acts is immoral. One is bad for my health, but the other is bad for my soul. Oddly, many people see smoking as a modern sin, while watching porn is no longer really considered to be wrong at all. So eating sugar for many is a modern sin, especially if you talk to people with on, on these diets where sugar is like anathema, but... Uh, but I would, I would eat a whole bowl of Honey Bunches of Oats on NBC's Today Show and probably not feel ashamed. Um, I wouldn't be proud of it, but I would not feel my conscience telling me that eating those added grams of sugar is morally wrong. Um, although, you know, it depends on how much I'm eating of it. So clearly, if you don't want to be seen doing something in public, you can be certain that it's not right. Uh, The internet, the internet age, has attempted to flip various acts from vice into virtue, but the small voice within whispers the real answer to us. The TV test has its merits, but there's one problem—a rather large problem. This kind of test relies on external feelings of how you would act if being observed. This goes directly to our need of approval and our sense of honor and shame. And as our culture is moving into a honor and shame uh, more and more, that's that's significant what this test lacks is internal motive the tv test is all about what others think about you not what you think about yourself or how you see the world now now I, i know it's probably getting to the point where it's like oh god not again here we go onto the religious stuff but yes that's exactly where i'm going the problem of the tv test is the underlying motive so let's take the example of the temptation to eat grapes in the produce aisle Doing the right thing is a wonderful thing in itself, since if you know someone is watching, you probably won't snatch grapes in the store as you slip through the cool and concealing fog of the produce misters. Ah, it's nice on a summer day in the produce aisle when the mist is... Anyway, but that decision to do the right thing and not eat the grapes that you haven't paid for is a change in behavior that comes from fear of being caught from someone holding up your immoral act and showing it to the world, like they'd pulled some snake out of a out of a downspout and holding it up. Um, In other words, it comes from coercion of outside forces. And make no mistake, Walmart and Target will prosecute, as many errant teens have discovered the rule of law in this way. No one wants to be outed in the local police blotter as a a grape lifter, a shoplifter of grapes. But don't we all want to eat some grapes at the grocery store? But we don't eat the grapes if there's a fear of getting our hands slapped. So note, just stay with me here for a minute on the grape metaphor as a surrogate for all temptation, a stand-in for all temptation. You can replace grapes with whatever vice you have, such as doing drugs or stealing or cheating or lying or getting drunk or gossiping or uh, attending swingers' orgies or or rejecting your family or anger at your mother-in-law or flirting with your ex on Snapchat. You get the point. True change in behavior does not come from fear. It comes from inner change. And trust is another word for faith. This comes from a change in the heart. In other words, doing the right thing can be done by a robot that is programmed to act on certain conditions. That is what totalitarian societies strive for by attempting to convert people into robots based on fear. If this, do that. If not this, then proceed to jail. If still not obedient, flog 20 times. Then loop back into society. If still low morale, send to re-education camp. Finally, on error, terminate the defective robot. Okay, that was an exaggeration of what Soviet Union might have been like. But um, anyway, we program machines to do the right thing, but we are not machines. Well, I take that back a little bit. As a former atheist, I did believe that we were just machines or merely large organisms of randomly selected chemistry lurching about the earth. And I've since abandoned that. For those who still gaze with wonder at the universe and accept mysteries beyond nature, even if only from watching Lord of the Rings or believing in the Lucky Charms Leprechaun, there's something special about the ghost and the machine, the body and the soul, put together as it really is. Now, to not eat the grapes in the produce aisle is righteous. Truly, as everyone in their heart knows that stealing grapes is wrong. And no matter how plump and tender they look... You know stealing grapes is wrong. Really, the more plump and tender the grocery store grapes appear, the more you need to resist the urge, as the temptation would be greater. No one would ever argue against stealing being wrong unless they have completely lost their mind, or they are perhaps starving. The TV test teases this out. If stealing was okay, we would just do it and not care. But we do care our conscience reminds us it's this little thing talking to us so external pressure to follow certain rules works for many things but this kind of robotic kind of decision isn't the whole story this is doing if we're just doing right by external pressure to avoid consequences that's that's great but there's something more to it there's a very a second and very different kind of reason to do the right thing and that comes from an internal change of really listening to our conscience and i would say cooperating with grace sin is the rejection of grace this kind of change does not come from external pressure in fact it's not coerced at all in in any way it is chosen so yes yes you can be good without god but there's still something missing and true change comes from the one thing that fits the god-shaped hole in the big empty of our heart okay yeah here it comes now the faith stuff Oh God, please spare my non-religious readers, help them bear this next part as I start to pontificate on the internal change of heart, the metanoia. Yes, the change comes from faith and it comes from grace. As usual, I always find something in the Catechism of the Catholic Church that shows me that 2,000 years of thinking about faith has produced some excellent distillations of the problems we humans face. This is paragraph 160 of the Catechism. To be human, man's response to God by faith must be free, and therefore nobody is to be forced to embrace the faith against his will. An act of faith is of its very nature a free act. God calls men to serve him in spirit and in truth. Consequently, they are bound to him in conscience, but not coerced. Indeed, Christ invited people to faith and conversion, but never coerced them, for he bore witness to the truth but refused to use force to impose it on those who spoke against it. His kingdom grows by the love with which Christ, lifted up on the cross, draws men to himself and women. Forget about the TV test. I have a new test called the Walmart test. And you can do this test even without being a Christian. But it's much easier if you are. Upon entering the mart... I'm such a regular at Walmart, I just call it the Mart. So even before you enter, you can start this test while you're in the parking lot. Pin the single idea on your brain's bulletin board. Right here. Every person you see is a child of God. Every person there is important. And you can see Christ in every person's face. Seriously, when you get out of the car at Walmart... And you see someone in the parking lot say, every person, that person is a child of God. That person's important. I see Christ in that person's face. There's a saying I've stolen from a guy who signs his emails with, see Christ in others, be Christ for others. Somehow it's always these short proverbial sayings that stick the best in my brain and make the most sense. They cut to the chase, and this may be because I'm in my 40s now, so phrases of eight words or less are necessary. By the time I'm 80, it'll probably be down to two words, and then just a grunt once I'm in my 90s, if I make it that far. This includes seeing Christ in the person that would win. This is critical. The person you think would be most likely to become Hitler in your mind's yearbook of societal characters. You probably know who I'm talking about. You know who it is. How do I know? Because everyone has a scapegoat, we all have a villain that we brook our own ego against to affirm ourselves and say, I'm good, that person's bad. If any behavior smacks of evidence for original sin, it's that humans seem wired to seek something or someone to hate. So we want approval and we want love and we're capable of much love, but we also gravitate gravitate toward hate just all too readily. We need that opposing force to support our own yearning for righteousness and self-love. Honestly, don't we just seek out anger? Don't we actually go looking for it sometimes? Last night, I sat down in my chair quite content for a moment. And then a minute later, I looked at my phone and saw an article on the news. And I clicked on it. And then I became instantly agitated. And I realized afterwards, did I not perform that act myself? Did I not just become angry by my own volition And for what reason other than I was feeling content and happy? I sought out something to irritate me and disrupt the peace. I went looking for this news site, uh, an article, and I, I did it to myself. You know, I was seeking, like, it's like I was seeking agitation. And the phone giveth. The phone, oh, it giveth. Why do we want to dislike something? Despite all the love memes that we post on Facebook or social media, there's an equal and opposite force pulling us in the other direction. One of the most fascinating phenomenons to watch on social media is to have one of your friends or relatives or whoever that posts a picture of his or her family and some very nice photo, followed an hour later by some vitriolic partisan article about a lightning rod political topic. Love, hate, love hate it's like they're saying here's something i love and later here's something i hate and it's weird it's like this um the pharisee and the tax collector kind of parable happening all the time Uh, the happy and the loving posts almost seem to act as a counterbalance to claim their image of how we feel about them back from the stronger yearning to communicate how angry they are about something in the world or something really as resentments are usually some kind of masked guilt I I hide these people's feeds because I can't handle the constant love, hate. And I try to actually never go go on Facebook as little as humanly possible. Um, And it's not, I don't hide them because I don't like the people. It's because I have to deal with my own tendency toward love and hate along with theirs. So I say one at a time, people get in line. I've got my own flaws to fight before I can handle yours and whatever political thing you're upset about. And this is where the Internet's poison gets nasty for society as a whole, because um, as our as we use it like a mirror for our thoughts. And, and now instead of just dealing with our own extremes, we get to observe and react to everyone else's internal monologue as well. And frankly, I'm not equipped for flaws beyond my own massive problems and insecurities. So now this shame and honor culture of love, hate, the fire hose of love and hate of opinions, it can live rent free in our heads. And many of us have taken up, have allowed things to take up permanent residency with this fusion of social media into our lives. I mean, if you're on Twitter, you are possessed by a a demon, I think. Um, Anyway, even before social media, comments to articles on webpage were rife with extremism. um, And it has this honor and shame type of feel. This is exactly why I don't have comments enabled on this site. um, Because have you ever, have you ever? have you ever in your online life read the comments of an article or a social media post and felt better afterwards? Has that ever brought you a sense of rest and peace? Have you ever scrolled and said, show comments and then said, that was a good idea. It's like, it's kind of like getting drunk and saying the next morning, that was a good idea. um, Instead of like going to exercise, that's where someone you'd say like, that was a good idea. Yeah. Exercise. That was a good idea. Um, Calling my mother, calling my, you know, someone you love, that was a good idea. Posting something online, um, yeah, no. Have you ever moved on from typing and commenting and, and kind of needling something online and felt like that, that left you with a good feeling? Because I haven't. Um, typing online is a good place to use the TV test. And you'd say, would I type this comment if the world were watching me? Funny thing is, the world is watching you online, although now we have all these anonymous things like Reddit and and all these other places where we can just be as cruel as humanly possible and (laughs) you can just leave it there like a time bomb for the next person to come along and read. So back to the Walmart test. This test, it must be done with all shoppers, but especially against those who personify your most vilified group. Um, So whether that person you would like to wish away um, so that they just disappear into the cornfield like that old Twilight Zone episode. If it's a Republican or a Democrat, if it's a uh, fat person or a thin person, if it's black person or a white person, an immigrant or a citizen, <clears throat> gay or straight, welfare or paying cash, um, you need to do this test on that person. You need to see the dignity of every person. This is the Imago Day test. So I'm calling it the Walmart test. But this is the Imago Dei test, which means the image of God. Um, Every human being is made in the image and likeness of God with a soul granted at the beginning of their life from conception. The notion of the Imago Dei is also that which gives each and every human being an equal share of human dignity. And this is the game changer. Catholic social doctrine is based principally upon this notion. Um, Dignitatis Humanae is the famous encyclical about this, which is a really good read. I'm sure no one will ever read it, but you should, we should read it. But um, I read it and it was good. So read it. But now if you do this correctly, if you do this Walmart test, Imago Dei test correctly, going to Walmart may become the greatest experience of your life. You may find yourself spinning around in the pet food section proclaiming loudly like John Dryden after reading Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, here is God's plenty, because there it is there. God's plenty is in Walmart. All of the uniqueness and quirkiness and oddities of our human experience, it's at Walmart. Now, this may be even euphoric for you. When you look at that Trump supporter or that drug user or person on food stamps or the woman with five children or that rich snob or, and you say to them in your head, this is a child of god and someone loves this person this person is valuable and meaningful jesus died for that person's sins just as jesus died for mine i am no better than that person i see christ in that person's face and they are a miracle but whatever you do don't hug them don't go over and hug the person if you if you start doing this and you get to the euphoric point don't just go hug them say hello maybe Or maybe pierce their bubble to start a conversation. Just don't hug them and say that you read this blog or listen to this podcast. That's how the police car can suddenly appear in front of Walmart. I say this without being too silly or trying to provoke anyone. But you must do the Walmart test stone sober, not high or drunk. Because it's very easy to feel the whole, I love you man, mood when you're intoxicated. Some people might call that the sloppy agape. Um. The kind of love that's just too saccharine, too sugary, too sentimental. That's not really seeing Christ in others. That's a false elevation, a vacuous happiness. Uh, drug users often have this I love you, man, attitude, but that's not a valid test because they've already escaped the world in the high of the drug. Uh, I remember a person from college uh, would get stoned and then go to the local zoo to look at animals. For some kind of zen experience i don't know what there was getting stoned and looking at zoo animals that's not the kind of thing i'm talking about do not go to walmart like that this is a sober test a test of internal change not external change not to be created by coercion or chemicals this is a test about choosing to orient your life toward christ and to see him everywhere in every person's face true change is internal it requires a turning toward god toward not away not a way toward. Um, This is the part that I never understood about Christianity for the first 30-some years of my life. I saw it as mostly rules, as buildings, as rituals, as a path to righteousness uh, through actions. I, I didn't really get it. And that's not what it's about at the root. All of those things, like rituals and nice churches, they help us stay on track to the true destination. But it's not only about the laws and the rules. That's not the main purpose. The primary purpose is to change how you see. The purpose is to make change from the heart, which changes your entire vision of the world. For those that think Jesus was a great moral teacher, that's a key part, but not the whole. It's about sin, forgiveness, and acceptance, and number one above all, about seeing the world as Christ saw the world. It's about entering into the suffering with others, not against them. It's removing that competition that you need to be better, um, that you're somehow better than others. Um, Christianity is, above all, a way of seeing. Everything else in Christian life flows from and circles around the transformation of vision. Christians see differently. And that is why their prayer, their worship, their action, their whole way of being in the world have a distinctive accent and flavor. That's from Bishop Barron, a little book called Centered. How else could the martyrs be burned to death while still praying for the one who lit the match? That sounds like drug-induced behavior, but it's not. For someone about to be killed and still see Christ in the face of the killer, that is such a radical idea that goes against all instinct. Um, Drugs like liquor and politics, which absolutely can be a drug, could never give that much of the I love you man feeling. What happens is that the faithful sometimes forget to see Christ in others. So, yes there are rules and we have to adhere to the rules and we have to come to Christ on Christ's terms, not our own terms. But even if we have come and others haven't, we have to see Christ in those. There are millions of Christians who do see this way but and they just don't make the news. We only hear about the ones who lose that vision and need to get back to the hospital for sinners. Remember, church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of saints. When that happens, say, when someone falls, the media pounces. Um, Non-Christians rejoice when the righteous fall, when the, when the Christians fall on their face publicly. They see the Pharisee then and those Christians that judge others while self-justifying their own behavior with the presumption of salvation. The meek inherit the earth, not the proud, right? Uh, but while the media dances on one of these fallen figures' graves, uh, what they forget is that in being humbled, The fallen figure usually realizes the mistake and comes to a stronger and more appropriate faith through that humility. So having faith is not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. Getting to heaven is the the narrow gate, not the wide path. Yeah, you get humbled. There's hard things, suffering. It's all part of it. We are given trials to learn from and grow from. We are like babies learning to walk. And so is everyone else at Walmart. They're all babies learning to walk. So am I. The second part of my stolen saying, be Christ for others. The second part, it means letting go of this zero-sum game, of needing something for every action I take. Um, I have to let go of the self and the never-ending wanting of more. I mean, hasn't that ex- been exhausting? It's exhausting. More money, more recognition, more likes, more house, more car, more sex, more drama. It becomes so repetitive, always wanting the next thing, the new shiny toy, the next experience that it's like a hamster on a wheel running for no reason. Actually, a hamster probably does run for a reason, but what we're doing is not. This letting go means you get, you go into servant mode and wind up receiving more than if you had gotten what you wanted. Someday I dream I will walk into Walmart and I'll see two people, perhaps a Republican and a Democrat, gripping each other's ears with both hands and saying simultaneously, how did I not see this before? but I won't hold my breath. I won't hold my breath. The Walmart test is where you, ch- you can choose to mock those you feel superior toward. You can choose to disdain, disdain your perceived enemies. You can mock them with body humor, or, or you can choose to see Christ in each person's face. This is not meant to be easy. It never was meant to be easy. Um, as a Christian, you are not even meant to be loved. Jesus even warned us that that we will be hated for His sake, and if someone hates you, take heart, because you found the perfect subject for your Walmart test. Can you love the person that that you hate the most? Better yet, better yet, can you love the person that hates you the most? Can you pray for your enemy? I bet you can. I bet you can. I'm going to close this one out with a quote from the Imitation of Christ. From the version I have, page 47, the Ignatius Press version, here's something important to remember. God will have us learn to bear the burden of one another's faults. Nobody is faultless. Each has his own burden to bear, without the strength or the wit to carry it by himself. And we have got to support one another, console, help, correct, advise one another, each in his turn. Meanwhile, there is no better test of a man's quality than when he cannot have things his own way. The occasions of sin do not overpower us. They only prove our worth. All right, that's it for this episode. Go to Walmart, see Christ in others, be Christ for others. See the dignity of every person in their face. Just don't hug them. Thanks for listening.